said, welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you at 9.50 p.m. on Monday, March 20th, 2023, uh, from beautiful downtown Sunderland, Massachusetts. It was an absolutely gorgeous day today, almost 60 degrees and sunny. So happy first day of spring or first day of fall, depending upon where you are in the world when you listen to this. I hope that it is the start of a great week for all of you. I would have recorded last week, and my sincere apologies for not doing so, but I had the weirdest week because on the 12th, Sunday the 12th, I ended up at the Urgent Care Center getting antibiotics for an infected ring finger on my right hand. It was the strangest thing. The week before, I thought I'd broken a blood vessel, and I thought extremely wrong. Ended up with swelling, the inability to move my finger. Uh, Woke up in the middle of the night with my hand throbbing on Sunday morning. Went to the Urgent Care Center, got some antibiotics, I'm still having a little bit of trouble with it, but not nearly as much as I was last week. And I do handwrite out all my notes for the podcast. Um, I do have a dedicated notebook that I use for nothing other than podcast notes. Uh, But even if I typed out my notes, I couldn't have done either last week for the uh, episode. So uh, the good thing is I am feeling much better, Um, actually able to move my finger now, Um, actually able to write and hold the pen. So here I am, and I thought tonight I would tell you a little bit about the California condor, uh, which is an amazing bird that has been on the verge of extinction for almost 100 years. Um, And honestly, I'm surprised that I haven't told you about the condor before now because when I started my blog back in 2021 which is also called a voice for the voiceless um, and you can find it at iamavoice.blog if you're interested in seeing what I've written about one of the first articles I wrote was about um, a captive breeding program of California condors that found that selective parthenogenesis was happening with their uh, newborn chicks. And all that means is that it's reproduction without male influence. Um, and these, these uh, chicks had hatched, and when they were studied, they had absolutely no male DNA in them whatsoever. But the puzzling thing to scientists was, well, Why is parthenogenesis a thing? These females have access to all the males that they could ever have, you know, ever want to have, because it was a captive breeding program. Um, And it's very rare even to see parthenogenesis in the wild. I mean, it has to be near extinction level event, literally, for an animal to reproduce without both parents. Um, being involved. So that was a big mystery. Uh, Sadly, the two chicks that had no male DNA did not survive. I believe one of them lived to be about a year old and one maybe about seven or eight months uh, before they both died. Um, But it was a real mystery to the scientists involved in the breeding program and they couldn't, to my knowledge, I don't think they ever really figured out why that happened. 
Um, but condors are very, very unique and special birds in many ways. Um, they are one of the world's longest living birds. If we don't interfere with them, they can live up to 60 years in the wild. Um, and the way that you can tell a condor from any other kind of vulture is that the condor has an orange-red head and neck, which is completely bare skin except for a few sparse feathers on the forehead. Um, they have black feathers with large white patches on the underside of the wings. They have a black uh, ruff of feathers around the neck, and there's absolutely no difference um, in appearance between the males and females which usually doesn't happen in avian species. Um, they can be between 43 to 55 inches tall and have a wingspan of between 8 and 10 feet. Uh, they weigh between about 15 to 30 pounds. And after taking off from the ground, they really don't use that wing their wings all that much. They prefer to glide on thermals. And even in doing so, without using their wings, they can still reach speeds of up to 56 miles per hour. And they can fly at altitudes of 15,000 feet, which is a whole lot higher altitude than most birds fly. Um, when it comes to food, they prefer large mammals. They will eat any kind of carrion, but they prefer uh, large animals like deer, goats, sheep, cattle, bears, and when food is scarce, they can travel up to 160 miles at a time in search of carrion. Um, and of course, they are valuable members of the ecosystem because they help safely dispose of dead and decomposing animals. Um, they protect humans and other mammals from the harm of decomposing material and bacteria. Um, they can go between three days to two weeks without feeding. And if they go uh, two weeks without feeding, the next time they eat, they will consume between two and three pounds of meat at one time. Um, because they eat rotting and decomposing flesh, they have an extremely strong immune system. And they are immaculately clean animals. Uh, they immediately after feeding clean themselves uh, to get rid of any uh, bacteria. So even though it might sound like they're just germ-infested animals, they're actually quite clean and they do provide a valuable service to the ecosystem. Um, as far as familial structures, uh, the condor is monogamous. They will mate for life. Uh, they do share food as a group. Um, they don't have what is called a syrinx, which is the bone structure in a bird's throat that allows them to sing. So they're almost mute. They do make grunts and, and hisses and uh, wheezing sounds, but they don't actually sing. And the mating ritual is actually pretty straightforward and simple. When it's time for a male to find a mate, he uh, turns his head red and puffs out his neck feathers. And he will approach a female uh, with his wings spread. 
and all she has to do to indicate she's interested is just bow her head to him and if she does that then that, that indicates that they've made it for life and then they go about making baby condors uh, they just build a simple nest nothing fancy the female will lay one single egg at a time uh, both the male and female take turns incubating the egg and they will raise one chick every other year uh, the chicks can fly after about five or six months, but they will stay with their parents until they're about two years old and roost and forage with their family before they go off and they start their own family. Um, so you can see that, the, that this very slow reproduction rate is not conducive necessarily to help repopulate the species, so to speak. Um, they're not the most prolific birds. Uh, the only natural enemy of an adult condor, of course, is a human, uh, but eggs and chicks can be targeted and attacked in the nest by ravens or golden eagles. And the interesting thing about the condor, as it stands now with condor conservation efforts, all the condors alive now are descended from 14 birds. Um, and a couple of interesting facts about the conservation efforts. In 2007, a California condor laid an egg in Mexico for the first time since at least the 1930s. And they have different cultural significance to different Native American tribes. The Wyatt tribe of California says that the condor recreated mankind after the great spirit wiped humanity out with the flood. Sound familiar? Um, and so they have a very rich history and very beautiful birds. Um, and sadly, as I said, we're their biggest enemies. Um, poaching is not the only, uh, issue that they have faced over the years that have endangered them. Um, excessive use of DDT reduced their numbers because one of the byproducts of DDT as a pesticide was that it would weaken bird eggshells and thereby kill the chicks before they could even hatch. And in fact, that is the one thing that Rachel Carson wrote about when she wrote Silent Spring uh, was about how birds were disappearing because DDT would kill birds. And so her book was instrumental in getting DDT banned. Um, and thankfully that has happened because DDT Poisoning was one of the primary killers of condors. Of course, habitat encroachment is always a problem. Um, but one thing I found interesting that I had to talk to my husband about because I didn't know this was a thing, um, lead poisoning is one of the greatest factors of condor decline. And apparently when you hunt big game, if you're hunting a grizzly or you're hunting something like that, you use lead shot. Um, and I did not know that. But apparently, you know, people who trophy hunt, like let's say you want a deer head for your wall and you're going to be a jerk and leave the rest of the carcass there. If you shoot a deer with lead shot and then do whatever you're going to do with whatever part you want and leave the carcass there, well, eventually the condors are going to consume the lead 
and get lead poisoning. So lead poisoning is the single greatest factor in the decline of the condor. Um, they have been a federally protected species since 1967 and protected in the state of California since 1971. <coughs> and the way that they're being saved and protected now is strictly through captive breeding programs. Um, in the 70s, conservationists found that only a few dozen condors were still alive in the wild. So they began collecting the eggs and hatched them at the LA and San Diego zoos. And a few live birds were taken as well, um, but it was a little too late because the numbers were continuing to decline. So by the mid 1980s, all of the remaining condors in the wild were taken uh, to zoos for captive breeding programs. So by 1987, there were only 27 birds left in the captive breeding program. Uh, there was one named Tapa Tapa, which had been captured in 1967. There were nine adult and immature birds that had been captured from 1982 to 1987. Another uh, four were captured as young nestlings from 1982 to 1984. And then the rest of the birds were 13 captive raised hatchlings that came from eggs that were taken from nests between 1983 and 1986. So, of course, the concern with that, when you hear that there were only 27 birds left to breed with, of course you're worrying about genetic diversity. Because in a gene pool that narrow, as I've mentioned with the other species that are endangered, it's always iffy as to whether or not a narrow gene pool will open the um, captive animals up to uh, genetic disease. And it does sometimes. Uh, the narrower the gene pool, the more likely there's going to be some kind of a genetic snafu that can further endanger the animal. But there were genetic studies done that showed that 13 of the 27 birds that were considered to be the founders of the modern genetic lines had actually three distinct genetic groups. So that's better than it sounds. It sounded like all 27 were from the same genetic family, but thankfully because they were found in different places, that gave a little more genetic diversity than you might have had otherwise. Um, and fortunately, the captive breeding programs have been going very, very well. Uh, the first captive chick hatched in 1988, and by 1994, the condors in captivity had produced over 100 eggs. Um, nearly 20 chicks hatch each year at each of the four breeding centers. Um, in 1987, as I mentioned, there were 27. By mid-1999, there were 169. By 2016, there were 446. And as of December of 2021, the total population of condors in the wild is now 537 which is still an abysmally low number considering at one time the condor numbered in the hundreds of thousands across the American Southwest and West. But it is important to know that uh, the captive breeding programs are working. Um, and there is a new, there, there's a new set of um, birds that have been released has been granted permission to start their own captive breeding program. 
if you can get these not only to the uh, hearts of the speaker, but the focus group leaders who are indigenous people uh, who have to take part in environmental regulation, um, if they are part of what we call the wild west of Switzerland, they will be thinking about this in terms of education. But this is not about this because the other point that I want to make is that